Well, church, have you ever been ashamed of your faith? I'm not talking about uh, when your faith is misrepresented, right? Like, Like when an incredibly large number of professing evangelicals began professing QAnon conspiracies Uh, Around the baseless belief that the former president, Donald Trump, was fighting a secret war against a global cabal of democratic elites who were Satan-worshipping cannibalistic pedophiles. Or, to pick on the left, when students at Duke Divinity School held a pride worship service and prayed to the great queer one, claiming that God is a drag queen, a trans man, and gender fluid I'm not talking about when our faith is misrepresented, when, when God is misrepresented for who he is or his people are misrepresented for, for what they are to be about. But we should all be ashamed of those types of things. But have you ever been ashamed about the actual substance of your faith? About the good news of God concerning his son? Have you ever been ashamed of that? This morning, as we continue our sermon series in Romans, we're going to consider Paul's exhortation that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And we're going to consider why we shouldn't be either. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verses 16, and it's really just 16 and 17 today. This passage is the end of Paul's introduction to his letter. But last week we were reminded that though Paul wrote this letter, he is not the source of it. He didn't invent it. He wasn't taught this message by any other man. Instead, this message, this word, was revealed to him. And as a servant of Jesus who has been given authority to proclaim this message, he is writing others, um, he is writing to tell others about the good news of God concerning his son, Jesus. That was last week's message. And today, here at the end of this introduction, Paul wants to make clear, before he launches in, that he is not ashamed of the contents of this letter. He's not ashamed of the gospel message that he's about to deliver. And the reason that Paul needs to declare that unashamedness is because many people to whom he was writing were ashamed of this message Many people who read this letter today are ashamed of the gospel also. If that weren't true, Paul's declaration wouldn't need to be made, would it? I mean, think about it. No one ever has to say, I'm not ashamed of enjoying a sunset, right? Uh, Because no one is ashamed of enjoying a sunset. Everyone likes to watch the sun go down. There's nothing controversial about that. So saying you're not ashamed... Uh, 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 of that means nothing because no one is ashamed of it. But if there is something controversial that you like, sometimes you have to take a stand. Sometimes you have to own it. For example, I am not ashamed that candy corn, particularly in its pumpkin form, is the greatest seasonal candy that exists, right? Now, 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 I appreciate that. that. But some people would actually disagree with us on that, right? Some so vehemently that they would think that we should be ashamed by holding that view. But I'm not ashamed, and I want to make it clear. Likewise, here Paul is declaring that he is not ashamed of the good news of God's Son. And that's necessary 
Because many people are. In fact, earlier in his life, Paul himself thought that this message was a shameful message. So shameful that according to Galatians 1, he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He wanted to put an end to this message. He previously thought that the good news of God concerning his son was such a shameful message that it was worth destroying. In a different way, the Apostle Peter, along with all of the other disciples, were once ashamed of this message as well. We saw that on the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to suffering and death. But when Peter, as he was questioned about his association with Jesus, denied even knowing who Jesus was. Out of fear for his own well-being, he was ashamed of his association with Jesus. All of the other disciples deserted Jesus that evening as well. In that crucial moment when, when the chips were down on the table... Every one of them abandoned him. Out of fear, they were ashamed of their association with Jesus. So being ashamed of the gospel is not a new or an uncommon phenomenon. In fact, at some point, before it is believed, everyone is ashamed of this message. But this is not how the Lord wants us to respond to his good news. In fact, Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And Jesus himself gives a strong warning in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, that whoever is ashamed of him and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes again in the glory of his Father. So though it is not uncommon to be ashamed of the good news of the gospel concerning his son, it is also not good to be. And in the end, it will prove disastrous. And Paul wants to spare us of that. So here at the very end of his introduction, at the very beginning of this letter, he expresses that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And he tells us why we shouldn't be either. And that's what we're going to think about this morning as we consider the source of our shame, the solution to our shame, and then kind of Paul's summary of our salvation. So first, the the source of our shame. In verse 16, Paul proclaims that he is not ashamed of the gospel. But inherent in that statement is the reality that the gospel has an offense to it, which many of which many people are ashamed And and Paul is unapologetic about that offense. In in Galatians chapter 5, he references the offense of the cross, and he acknowledges it as a good and proper thing. Paul says there that 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 the gospel message has an offense to it that he does not want to be removed. So what is this offense? Well, there are actually many. First, the the message of the gospel is an offense to our sense of our own goodness. The message of the gospel tells us that no one is good but God alone. And that left to ourselves, we are not simply not good, but we are in fact evil in our rejection of the God who is good. In fact, our rejection of God is so complete That the scriptures tell us that every inclination of the thoughts of our hearts are only evil all of the time. 
And that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick and cannot be trusted. As a result, having nothing good dwelling in us, we are unable to please God and are deserving of his judgment and wrath for the evil that we have done. This is an incredibly offensive message to the popular belief that man is basically good. The message of the gospel is an offense to our sense of human goodness. The message of the gospel is also an offense to our modern human intellect. I mean, if you take a step back and listen to the story of the gospel uh, with, with natural ears, and you, if you process it with a scientific mind, it all sounds like utter nonsense. That a virgin gave birth to a child... That the God of the universe who created it all came to earth in weakness, in the form of a baby. That God's son had to die upon a cross in order for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be reconciled to God. And that after having been killed, Jesus came back to life, rose from the grave and then ascended to heaven. But he sent his Holy Spirit to to live inside of our hearts. And that one day he's going to come again, riding on the clouds and make everything new. If we're honest, the entire message of the gospel sounds like foolishness. It's an offense to our modern, scientific, human intellect. And these are just two of the offenses. I could go on and on and on with different offenses of the gospel. The gospel is an offense to our sense of strength because it tells us that we are weak. The gospel is an offense to our sense of pride because it tells us that we are no better than anyone else. The gospel is an offense to our sense of self-sufficiency because it tells us that we are unable to help ourselves. The gospel is an offense to our authentic True self. Because it tells us that we must die to who we are in order to become who God has created us to be. The gospel is an offense to our belief in freedom. Because it tells us that we are either enslaved to sin or enslaved to God, but that there is no other option. There's no such thing as independent human freedom. The gospel is an offense to our desire for an easy and comfortable life. Because it tells us that the way to life that is truly life is through the suffering and death of the cross. The gospel is an offense to our desire for glory. Because it tells us that our glory fails. In the end, it comes to nothing. But it's God's glory that endures forever. In so many ways, the message of the cross is an offense to humanity. Because it tells us that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough to save ourselves. It tells us that we're not capable, that we don't have what it takes, that we need assistance from outside of ourselves. It tells us that we're no better than anyone else, even the worst people that we know. It tells us that we are merely creatures of a creator, not gods of our own universe. It tells us that we are wrong. For all of these reasons and more, the good news of God concerning his son is an offensive message to human beings. Which is why we're often ashamed to believe it or to proclaim it. 
This is the source of our shame. But Paul, though he once felt that the gospel was a shameful message, he tells us here that he does so no longer. Now he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? That's what he tells us in verses 16 and 17. And it's our second point this morning, the solution for our shame. Why, why shouldn't we be ashamed of the gospel? There's all of these reasons that the gospel is a shameful message for humans. Why should we not be ashamed of it? In verse 16, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for or because it is the power of God for salvation. Verse 17, for or because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So, so here there are two reasons that Paul tells us why we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, and they build upon each other. The first reason that we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel is because it is the power of God for salvation. What Paul is saying is that the gospel message, the good news about what God has done to save us, actually saves us. We shouldn't be ashamed of this message because it does in us what it says God has done for us, right? This message, which says God saves us, works powerfully in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives to save us, which, if you think about it, is just another way of saying that it is true. This message of the gospel is true. It's a message that says that God has come to save us, and by that message, God saves us. It does what it says. The gospel message is true, which really removes any reason that we have to be ashamed of. Do you see that? The message is only an offense to our sense of our own goodness if we're actually good. But if we're not actually good, this message isn't an offense. It's simply the truth. This message is only an offense to our sense of intellect if it's not true. But but if it's true, then it's not God who is foolish and we who are wise. It is God who is wise and we who are foolish. It's just true. We could go through the entire list. The gospel is only an offense to our sense of strength if we're actually strong and able to save ourselves. But if we're really weak and have no hope to save ourselves, this message isn't offensive. It's just true. The gospel is only an offense to our sense of pride if we're actually better than other people. But if we're all really equal before God, this message isn't an offense. It's it's true. The gospel isn't only an offense to our, our, is only an offense to our self-sufficiency if we're actually self-sufficient. But if we're really dependent upon God for absolutely everything in this life and in the life to come, then, then that's not an offensive thing to say. It's just the truth. Do you see how this works? All of the offense of the cross is removed once we believe that it is true. And therein lies the key. We have to believe it. Did you see that at the end of this first point? It says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone 
who believes. Now, there are two important modifiers here that we have to discuss for just a moment. First, Paul makes clear that this power of God for salvation that is inherent in the message of the gospel is available to everyone. This is the most inclusive offer in the world. Another reason that we have not to be ashamed of it. It's available to everyone. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how smart you are, how good you are, how hard you work, how well you were raised, where you are from, how bad the worst mistake you've ever made is. None of it matters. This is the most inclusive offer in the world. It is available to absolutely everyone. It is offered to absolutely everyone. But it is only received by those who believe. It's offered to everyone, but the power of God's salvation is only experienced by those who believe. If you believe that it's true, then it's true in your life. If you don't believe that it's true, you won't experience it. It's still true. Your belief about whether it's true or not has no effect on its truthfulness. You just won't experience it for yourself. Because it is only The power of God for salvation for those who believe. Faith is the key that unlocks this saving power in your life. By believing it, you experience God's salvation. So this is the first point. The gospel does what it says it does. It is a message that saves us by telling us how God has saved us. It is the power of God for salvation. How does it do that? How does it save us? Because it reveals to us the righteousness of God. That's the second reason that we aren't to be ashamed of this message. Because it makes known to us the righteousness of God. Now there's all kinds of discussion about what this this phrase, the righteousness of God, actually means here In Romans chapter 1. Some say that the righteousness of God here is describing a divine attribute. God's righteous character. His goodness. His justice. uh, His rightness in all things. It's the idea that the gospel message makes known something about who God is. He is righteous. Others argue that the righteousness of God here is referring to God's righteous actions. Namely, what he did to save his people. This is the idea that the gospel shows us how God is right and good in the act of saving us. Still others say that the righteousness of God, which is revealed in the gospel, is referring to God's divine achievement. In how he bestowed upon us a righteous status that we previously did not have. John Stott argues that there's no reason why we have to choose, saying that he has never seen why all three shouldn't be combined. And and he summarizes this concept by saying the righteousness of God is God's righteous initiative in putting sinners right with him by bestowing on them a righteousness which is not their own, but his. 
That this is how the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It's it's the story of how a righteous God makes mankind right by giving us a righteousness that was not our own. He is good and he makes us good by giving us his goodness. (laughs) This is the second reason that we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Because it declares and it reveals the glorious goodness of God. And in the same way that the power of God for salvation is made known through the gospel by believing, so is the righteousness of God revealed through the gospel by faith. You can only know this righteousness of God. You can only see this righteousness of God. You can only receive this righteousness of God by faith. It is from faith for faith, Paul says. So, to the natural ear, the message of the gospel is offensive. Because it challenges all of our humanist misconceptions about ourselves, about how great we are. But believed and received by faith, this good news of God concerning His Son is nothing to be ashamed of. First of all, because it is true. This story of God's salvation is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It does what it says. It is true. Second, it's nothing to be ashamed of because in this message of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This this good news shows how glorious our God really is. And that doesn't make us ashamed. That leaves us in awe. And the only difference between being ashamed and being in awe is faith. It's faith. And this is where Paul ends his introduction. And this is what many people believe is the main idea of his entire letter to the Romans. It's Paul's summary of our salvation. He says that this is all. Uh, The good news of God concerning His Son, the power of God for salvation, the righteousness of God being revealed, it is all from faith for faith. Or as it's translated in the NIV, it is all by faith, from first to last. That's what this entire letter of the Romans is going to be about. How our lives with God are begun, lived, and ended All by faith in Him. By believing in and by living in light of this good news of God concerning His Son. Paul brings this point home at the end of verse 17 by quoting from the prophet Habakkuk. Saying that the righteous shall live by faith. Or if you look at the footnote in your Bible... You'll see that another way that that can be translated is that the righteous by faith shall live. It can be translated either way. And both are actually true. One translation emphasizes the role that faith plays in salvation. Right? The righteous by faith shall live. Those who are made righteous by their faith shall live, will be saved. It's a statement of our salvation that comes 
by faith. The other phrasing emphasizes the role that faith plays in our sanctification, in our ongoing lives of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It's a statement of our ongoing lives of faith. Those who are righteous will live their lives by their faith, it's saying. One emphasizes that faith is how we start our lives with God. The other emphasizes that faith is how we live our lives with God. Both are true. And as a result, this whole idea and this entire letter to the Romans could be summarized by smashing those two phrases together. The righteous by faith shall live by faith. Paul is saying that those who are made righteous by their faith will then live their lives by that same faith. It's by faith from first to last. It's all about believing, trusting in what, who God is and what God has done. And this is what Paul will begin to flesh out for us as we get into the heart of this letter beginning next week. So church, the the good news of God concerning his son Jesus is a true message. It tells us how God has saved us, and when we believe it, it saves us. It's true. And it is awe-inspiring. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So let us believe this true And awe-inspiring good news. And not be ashamed of it. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.